All right, welcome to the Teaching a Rockstar podcast. And on today's episode, we have Dr. Sean Woodley. I came across this guy online and just read his bio, went to the website, and there's so much I want to ask him because of my experience in teaching and what his expertise is. And uh, he's a speaker. He has an author. He's an author. He has a book out. He does staff development, and you know he specializes in helping educators uh, just you know, flourish in that classroom family that they create for their kids. And um, and like he gets it. Like I can tell already just by reading through his stuff. Like he gets it, man. If we're going to make a difference, we've got to be different. And he shows that and how he works with teachers and um you know he has this whole thing man it's, it's called teach hustle inspire program we're going to talk about that where it's not really a, a program it's more a movement and 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 we're going to dig into what all that means to him here we go dr sean woodley teaching a rockstar podcast let's do this this is the teach like a rockstar podcast with hal bowman and before we dig into this with Dr. Sean Woodley, I have got to tell you about Boston Scally Caps. I have found the absolute best caps on the internet at bostonscally.com. The Boston Scally Company is the online purveyor of caps with the most attitude. Some people refer to them as a flat cap or a Gatsby or an Ivy cap, but the cap everyone is really looking for is the traditional Boston Scally cap. Founded by the son of a lifelong educator, the Boston Scally Company designs and sells caps that capture the unique culture of the Boston people with an authentic style that is filled with blue-collar sarcasm, rugged integrity, and a truckload of attitude. Pick up the authentic Boston Scally cap at bostonscally.com. The Teach Like a Rockstar podcast with Hal Bowen. Man, can I tell you a little story? A little, little story time sure, first? Sure, sure. All right, check it. Yeah. So I was teaching in a school and it was a suburban school and it was mm-hmm. brand new construction. And we, you know, it's one of those things where you move in, you know, the freshmen, well, you know, there's so many schools out there, you know, freshmen get a choice if they want to come or not. And then we get those okay. kids and then they bring in the sophomore class and junior class. And after the third or fourth year, we got all four grades, freshman, sophomore, junior, senior. And the school was built in a field. So there's nothing out there way mm-hmm. outside of Houston. And then, um, like the closest neighborhoods these kids are coming from, I'm guessing like home prices, if I remember right, around 250 to 350. You know, parents driving into Houston, their commuters and, um, you know, lots of, um, history of college education. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's, that's what we're doing for a couple of years. And then. One, uh, you know, we come back from August, you know, summer and we're driving and I'm driving down this road. I get through all the neighborhoods out into the field and there's this, there's this billboard. It says coming soon homes from the seventies. And then there's another billboard for the new construction of apartment complex. And there's a trailer, uh, you know, like a mobile home housing thing going up and all these were neighborhoods were built in that field, um, for miles around and within Mm -hmm. I'm telling your brother within a year, it was a completely different population, like a completely different mm-hmm. demographic. Mm-hmm. And so, so what we went from is like all these teachers that went to that school, new construction, they knew what they're signing up for. And it wasn't yeah. these kids. <laughs> it was those yeah. other kids. And within yeah. a year or two, we had a whole different crew of kid, man, like a whole different type of kid and a whole different type of family. And yeah. to say that teachers struggled it is like a monumental understatement. Yep. And, and for the longest time, man, like I, I, 
I hated those teachers. I was a younger teacher and I hated them because like, man, they're just mean. Like, what are they, leave these kids alone. Like, you know, and, yeah. but in their mind, they used to be called, um, you know, uh, rigorous and now they're mean mm-hmm. and inflexible. And mm-hmm. where before that, you know, they, they still trying to do, well, I, we have a standard. These kids have to meet the standard and I'm not, they were doing that thing. And then one day I realized like, like it's one of two things. Like the problem, real problem is that teacher isn't self-aware and they either have to figure out how to connect with these kids and build a new type of relationship with these kids or just move on. Mm-hmm. Like these aren't your kids. Yeah. Like your kids yeah. don't go to school here anymore. Go find those kids. They're at, they're at the school three miles away now. They're over there. And man, what, what, what I like about your stuff and what you post and, and just reading in your bio is like that urban environment, although it was suburban, it was really kind of urban in the style yep. of kid and family that we got. And like, how did you get interested in all that at the very beginning of this whole journey you're on? That's where I started. That, that is my, that has been my teaching experience has been in urban and culturally diverse schools. Um, and so I came in to the classroom kind of similarly to that way that that school ended or, or yep. excuse the way that that school transformed, that's where I start. And so as far as just being an educator, like that's all I knew. Yeah. For you, man, like was, was, was that your experience growing up? Mm-hmm. Yep. Same exact thing. Um, I came through a school system. I'm, I live in Atlanta now, but I'm, I'm from New York and growing up the school district that, um, that we lived in, it was culturally diverse um, and so it was a school system on Long Island. And if you look at what the statistics and the newspaper articles and things like that say, it's terrible school, terrible neighborhood, all of those types of things. I had some really strong teachers, yeah. but now being an educator myself and looking back, I had some not so strong teachers. Yeah. Um, and you could tell who really wanted to be there. You could tell who was just going through the motions. And so it was familiar to me when I started teaching in uh, an urban school. Yeah, man. When I, I remember I grew up in uh, New Jersey through seventh grade and mm-hmm. man, I really like, I remember, um, it didn't, I don't know, not to say it wasn't as a big a deal. I just don't remember so much emphasis being in school as when I moved to Texas to Houston in mm-hmm. terms of diversity of races and cultures. I just remember, look, man, there's a whole bunch of white kids, a whole bunch of black kids, a whole bunch of Puerto Rican kids. That was pretty much what it was, man. Same thing. Same and, thing. Yeah. But when I got here, man, like it was really clear that, you know, in this, in this mm-hmm. school district, I, I, with the, there's the black school, there's the white school and all the Hispanic kids yeah. go over there, yeah. you know, based yeah. on the neighborhood. And there wasn't a lot of busing mm-hmm. across there. There's more, way more so now, but you know, I think for educators, um, oftentimes they show up in a job with a whole bunch of kids that they, they didn't even know these kids existed. They never talked yeah. to them before. They didn't, they didn't live with them. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I gotta think it's really hard. It is. It is. That, that's a struggle for a lot of teachers. And that's what a lot of my work focuses on because that struggle, if you, if you think about it, what's happening is there's, there's just a, a knowledge gap there somewhere because those, and I'm sitting with those air quotes, those kids can learn. They just learn differently than the way that many of us were taught to teach. And so if we don't make adjustments in our teaching style and how we connect to and educate those students, then that you're talking about droves of students year after year after year that are being undereducated and then going on into the world unprepared. 
by the droves year after year. So there has to be a change. There has to be something that has had to be done. And it can be done because otherwise there would be no success with students in that population. And there has been success. There are just specific practices that have to be put in place for those students to be successful. Man, that's what I love because I'm all about um, if you can show me an example of somebody pulling this thing off one time, that's all I need. That's it. That's it. And it'd be you know, different if no one if no one's ever done it. Now we have a problem. Yeah, I get if, it. If, then, it, if it's yeah. never been done, you know, but it it has been done and it's done every single day. It's just that it doesn't. I, I, I like to think of when you go back to those teacher preparation programs, when we learn how to be educators and we're taught specific, uh, you know, pedagogical uh, styles and things that we kind of just relate to based on our personality or how our how we were taught and we gravitate towards certain teaching styles. Yeah. And likely that teaching style doesn't align with certain populations of students, which is natural. It's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But what we have to do is we have to understand that we cannot be uh, we cannot put ourselves in a box as far as our growth. We have to be able to learn that we have to learn and continue to learn as educators to expand our reach so that we can reach everybody, not just a certain demographic of students. You know, man, I got a man. This is powerful. So one of my theories is a lot mm-hmm. of the stuff that I see being taught in teacher preparation programs at the university level. Like I get it. I, I, I totally understand it. But a lot of times that strategy and those all the all that pedagogy, you know what, man, the, the, for the kids that you're talking about where this stuff is going to be effective, they're, they're going to learn anyway. Do you know what? Like, these kids, yeah. you know what I mean? like, in fact, you don't necessarily need to be teaching. I, mean, I just had a conversation with a principal with a school that's, uh, you know, kind of seeing this changing population. And he had to tell his teachers, hey, listen, mm-hmm. man, for the last five years, you've been talking. You've been standing in front of him talking. Now, when you start teaching, yeah. there's a big difference between yeah. talking and teaching. <laughs> That's it. That's so, it. Yeah, man. And so, man, so the other thing is uh, for me, and I don't know if you've seen this, but for those teachers that struggle, oftentimes with a population they they're not familiar with or they don't connect with or don't understand, there seems to be this inverse relationship between how much they struggle and how much they know their kids. Like the more the mm-hmm. struggle. Oh, yeah the less they know about their kids and the deeper the relationship, the less they struggle. Yep. That, that is, that is a direct relationship. You're exactly right. And, and you know what the foundational element in, in each of those circumstances is it's, it, it boils down to culture. Yeah. Um, it really, really does. And the, one of the things that I've learned in my research and in my practice is that culture, a lot of times, a lot of good educators and, and even struggling educators, we make an effort to put it and make it a part of our classroom. Um, and so there are conversations that are had about people of color or people that may look like the students. You might yeah. see different programs, um, you know, where you bring in a dish from your heritage or your background, or you might hang up some flags and things of like uh, things of that nature, which is great. It really, really is. However, the issue is when it stops there, that's where most people make the mistake because that's only at the surface. Yeah. What we have to understand is as educators, culture is so much more than what we what is observable at the eye level and at the physical tactical level. It's below the surface. It's a lot of those unwritten rules that we have to not only understand, but we have to implement. 
And when we can understand and implement those in and, and adjust our teaching style to make it culturally responsive. Now, that's where that comes from. Now, this is where we start to shift the narrative and shift the results that we're getting in our classrooms. You know, what I find is these kinds of conversations between me and students are super fun and super easy. Mm-hmm. However, when I have these conversations with adults, I, man, I, I, I can feel things are uncomfortable in the room and no one wants to say anything that's not appropriate. And, you know, and, and, but you, but it's a kids, it's a whole different deal. Like I just talked about this with Vernon Wright on uh, the other, other day when we were talking and um, like in my classroom, it was, those kids wanted, we, I, I don't like this word acceptance. Like, let's just accept. I, I'm not interested in accepting anybody, man. I want to find what's weird and let's celebrate it, man. And like, you know, I learned that I, from the kids, man. Like, in like that, they they yeah. get so excited about what's what's unique and what's different. Yeah. And they, it's almost mm-hmm. as like, you know, we were trying to one up each other, find out how different your stuff is from my stuff, <laughs> or how your family celebrates or my family. Yeah. And like, that's when mm-hmm. things. That's when you learn. It is, and and you know what that word acceptance kind of, to me, is synonymous with tolerance. Yes. And I, 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 I cringe when I hear that discussion of tolerance in the classroom Ugh. because I, I heard it put this way one time. You tolerate flies at a picnic. And I, I, I don't like that because now it's just like, well, all right, you know, like I, I'm, I, I have that image of flies bothering me when I'm trying to eat. I'm tolerating them. Yeah. We don't need to tolerate these students. And what you said is awesome. We need to learn about them. We need to go beyond that acceptance, beyond that tolerating people and celebrate these differences. That's 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 the dream right there. And it starts with what you mentioned earlier about that whole self-awareness aspect. It's critical. Yeah. Hey, when, for you, when, uh, you go to schools and you talk about these types of things, um, mm-hmm. do you sense that same thing when you're standing before teachers, you know, they're in the auditorium or wherever they're meeting where these are, dude, mm-hmm. like, this is touchy, like, you know, we're on thin ice here and like just tiptoe around some of this stuff or you just dive on in? I, I, I don't often get that resistance and here's why. Because I try to, and I'm going to use this analogy just because I gave my son some medicine earlier. It's like when you give a child medicine, it's that grape flavored. It's, it's, it's solving a problem, but it tastes good. So when I have these discussions, I try to present them in a way that is engaging, that people can relate to. And so there are certain terms, certain language that I substitute. For example, If we talk about like a lot of this boils down to implicit bias, implicit bias has this connotation of you're racist. And so in order to switch that, I talk about shifting paradigms. And so that immediately allows me to go forward with the discussion without people getting defensive and raising that bridge and that and and more so raising that barrier, excuse me, and, and more so creates a bridge for that conversation. Yeah. Man, when when you were teaching and and mm-hmm. um, uh, when you're walking down the hall and you're seeing what's happening yeah. in classrooms, what did you have these moments like? Oh my gosh, they just don't know, or they don't get it, or they need help. Oh, uh, definitely. I I had a leadership position um, before I started teaching at the college level, and I would. It, it's very easy to walk down the hallway and see 
what's in control and what's not in control. And it's, it's sometimes, you know, like I'll do an observation or something like that. And we, we need to have some tough conversations. And, but th- at least what, what I like to see in those instances is just that you're willing to learn. If you have an attitude for learning and growth, it can be solved. It yeah. really, really can. It's when we meet resistance and I'm doing this right. They need to change. That's when we have an issue. Yeah. You know, I talk about that a lot that, you know, whenever I hear that phrase that comes out, well, these kids, you know, anytime it starts with that, man, like, you know, for me or, you know, it's that, it's that ownership component that is often a difficult conversation with educators because in my mind, what I really want to say is, man, listen, you have to own a hundred percent of this thing. Like you have to believe Mm -hmm. completely all this is your fault, both good and bad. Like every time it's amazing, it's for one reason, because you're yeah. amazing. And when it's it. really bad, it's for one reason, because you're really bad. Like, <laughs> because if you do that, what I try to help them understand in a very subtle way, man, like if, if, if I keep giving away all this, all the power, it's these kids and that principal in this community and this, the, mm-hmm. and we don't have the funding. Well, what's left that I can affect, man? What, like what's left over that I can change? But if I really believe yeah. it's not these kids, it's me, then mm-hmm. I can change a hundred percent of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that, that self-awareness part, I mean, it's that it all boils down to that, like that it's an accountability factor with this at the end of the day. It really, really is. Yeah. You know, man, I, um, I was in uh, Louisiana speaking and there was a couple of schools I visited one day and in Louisiana there, um, this isn't true for all the parishes, but in some of the parishes, mm-hmm. there's no, there's no busing, man. They, they really do. It's not a metaphorical track, train tracks. It's literal. That goes down the middle of the town and those are the white kids on that side. Those are the black kids on that side. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. um, and you know, and I visit the, you know, the, the school where the kids that are Caucasian go to and, you know what? When I visit that campus, um, it's kids are coming down the hallway, and I look at and all the you know, doors are open, and it's quiet, and kids are sitting there, and teachers are talking, and they're in the front room talking, and kids are taking notes, and and they leave, and there's kids everywhere, and they go to the next class, and it's um, just, I'm not maybe I don't know if the word is stale, but more of a stagnant environment. But when I go sure. to the school on the other side of the track, man. And to see these teachers in the hallway, and by the way, they're 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 neck and neck in terms of academic performance. And mm-hmm, to see these teachers mm-hmm. in the hallway between classes, hugging kids, and this interactive yeah. lessons are going on, and kids are doing skits, and I mean, all this stuff mm-hmm, is going on. Mm-hmm. And people wonder why, like, like, how, like, how are they pulling this off? How are they so good over there? Yeah. And uh and it's like, man, go visit, and you can see how deeply yeah. these kids kids feel loved and. And mm-hmm. let and just letting them be kids, and yeah, man, it's loud, but it should be loud. There's three thousand kids in the building. What do you want it to be, yeah. man? And and they're excited, yep. and they love their teachers, and it's there's always something exciting. They're running a class, and that can happen anywhere. It can. It really, really can. That that relationship factor. There are a lot of important factors. Like I, I kind of in my book, I created this model that's based off of my experience as a teacher and as a DJ. And it has four critical elements, uh, achievement, alliance, awareness, and artistry. And that alliance part, that relationship building factor is, is so important because that communicates to students a, a lot of different things, not the least of which you're important, you're valued, you belong here. I believe you can do it. And that increases that student's efficacy that he or she 
can believe that she can actually do it. And, and you, there, you know, but that's all for, fostered, um, by a relationship. It, it really, really is. And that, and that connectivity, that human connection. When I, when I speak to educators, I, I try to bring that home by making it personal. For example, relationship, like we're relational beings. If you've traveled somewhere, anywhere, I go on vacation every once in a while. And my wife and I, we, we celebrated our anniversary over the summer and we went to Jamaica. And one of the first things that you do when you get to that new resort, you might meet another couple. Hey, how you doing? And the second question that comes out of your mouth, yep. nine and a half times out of 10 is where are you from? Yeah. Now I ask people, why is that? Why are you asking where are you from? And the, and, and it all boils down to, you're trying to find out where that person is from to see if they're from somewhere that you're familiar with. If they know somebody that you know, at the end of the day, it's a connection thing. We're trying to find some form of way to connect with that person. Is there a way, is there a relationship connection in there some way, regardless of what they look like? Where are you from? How are we connected? And, and it, it's human nature. And those kids, it's the same thing. They're looking for that connection. And when it's not there, it's, it's an uphill battle every single day. It really, really is. It's connection. When you have that connection, it makes thing, everything, almost everything else so much easier. Yeah, man. And especially for a kid, cause a kid walking in, you know, because I have some experience, I've been around for freaking five decades. I know there's something. Yeah, I can look at a kid and, and like, I, I, we, I know we come from different places and we look different and active. I get it. But mm-hmm. I'm, based on my experience, I know there's some common ground somewhere, but a kid somewhere. doesn't know That's that. It. A kid has yeah. no yep. idea, man. I mean, look at that mm-hmm. guy. Mm-hmm. He's five foot three. <laughs> he's bald. He's white. <laughs> he's always <laughs> laughing. You know, I don't know who that dude There's in their mind because they they've only been on the planet for 14 years. You know, in their world, there's no way we have anything in common until, you know, like that's the point. Like we have to dig down deep and, and you know what, for um, teachers, it sounds crazy, but what I always tell them is like, think about elementary school. Even if like kids at junior high and high school, they love that stuff. Like I tell them, if you have a room full of juniors and seniors and you've never done show and tell, you're crazy, man. Kid, it's awesome. (laughs) Man, kids love it. It You know, and I would tell them, man. Bring something with a story. I would give them rules. It can't be alive. It can't be breathing. Has to fit in your backpack. You know, it has, has to be legal. All kinds of stuff. Yeah, yeah, man. It has to be. I give them some rules, but bring something yeah. with a story. And these kids will, it's man. Amazing what you can learn. Yeah. And yeah. they will go yeah. on and on and on. And people think, hey, man, I, I don't have time. I, I, I've, you know, I'm teaching you know, world geography. Listen, mm-hmm. man. This time thing. This is like you can. Inv- I say when it comes to building relationships, you can invest a little bit up front. Or you're going to pay dearly the whole year long. That's it. That is it. And, and you know what that, and I'm, when you do those types of things that communicates to those students that the special parts and the things that are important to me are valued, you know, that says a lot that lets that student know that, you know, what my opinion is important. What I value is important. I'm important to this person in this classroom. And they're going to go so much further and so much harder for you because they believe that you believe in them, which influences how they are able to believe in themselves. I, that, that's a dope idea. Really show and tell. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Dude, kids love it, man. They can't wait. You know, yeah. you know, it's my turn Friday, right? Cause we would do it Friday. One or two people go every Friday. Dude, uh-huh. They can't wait to get it going, man. 
And wow. uh, man, that whole concept of, of feeling important and that there's, you know, that's like those basic human needs of, yeah. you know, they want to feel connected. They they need to feel that they're significant, that they matter, that mm-hmm. they, you know, they have mm-hmm. to feel like they're improving and growing as a person because of the family that we created in that class. And, and you know what? I try to help teachers understand. Hey, man, listen. This these kids, they're they're going to satisfy those needs one way or another. That kid is going to be that kid's yeah. going to be significant. He's going to figure out how to be significant. You can either set him up for that. He's That's going to figure it. it out on his own, man. That's it. That that is it. It really he's going to figure it out one way or the other. Whether it's whether happen. it's the way that you'd like or not. Yeah, that, yeah. that is factual. Yeah, one of the guys I, I I love as a school leader, his name is Jeff Springer. He's retired now. Not retired. He's repurposed. That's what he calls it. So he's repurposed now. But um, he had this thing called uh, VCL, and he just for years he would talk about it every time with every kid on, on and uh, on the morning announcements every day, and it was all about he needed everybody on that campus to know that they're valuable, that they're complete. That they have everything they need, man. It's all inside of you right now. Yeah. Like you were born with all that you need yep. and that you're loved. And wow. and by the time he was done at that campus, I would go to a pep rally and every and not it's I'm not talking like most, like every kid has a VCL shirt on. Every kid has a VCL wow. wrist you know, rubber wrist bracelet thing on. And and people think like, man, that you know, that um that was like an overnight thing. Well, overnight nothing, man. That's like a decade of that yeah. dude's life harping yeah. on it every day. But it wow. eventually works. Yes, yes, yes. When, when, if, if, if they internalize that, which it sounds like they, they have, that's magnanimous. That's fantastic. VCL, I like that. Yeah. Hey, man. When, when, when you show up at a campus, have you had this experience mm-hmm. where you show up and, um, and they know they're struggling, which is a good sign. Just you know, there's somebody on campus that's self aware, and they need, they know they need uh, some, some guidance and. And you show up and, um, and you can tell this, this is a campus that needs a lot of help. Where do you start? Mm-hmm. Like, well, like what's the first types of things you want to put in their mind? Um, the first thing that I try to do is put them at ease with my role and why I'm there. Sometimes yeah. staff development, sometimes consultants, they can present themselves as what's, what's a nice way to say this? Not so friendly. Or, yeah. or I got you and here's what you're doing wrong. And I try to eliminate that. I try to let my personality shine. I like to have fun. I'm an educator by nature, whether I'm educating students or I'm educating other educators. And I try to just let them know upfront that I'm here and I'm on their side and I'm just here to help. And I, I, I've, I've been very successful at that. And I feel like once I'm able to do that and to get them to lower that barrier that can arise sometimes, it's a lot easier to have some of those conversations. And it's a lot easier to now walk into the classroom and say, okay, I see here, this is what you did. Here's why it may not have worked. And this is what you can try instead. And then we have those sessions where now we're going deep into some of these, uh, some of these four elements that I was telling you about and have some of those conversations and we can have them there. Uh, participating in those conversations and they're well received. And more importantly, there's change that comes after those. Sure. Man, I don't know if there's another profession. I I mean, here's what I love. I love that it's changing and I think it's changing because of social media and and seeing what's Mm -hmm. out there and what other teachers are doing. But I've, um, if you asked me 10 years ago, I would have said, man, I've never seen another profession on the planet where there is somewhat of a fear and feeling uneasy about seeking help or mentorship in terms of what's happening in the classroom. 
Yeah. Where yeah, like, I, I, I agree. you know, man, if you're like a real estate agent and you're brand new mm-hmm. or if you're not, but you're struggling, like the only thing you would do is go find a really good real estate agent and follow right. them around and do right. what they do. Yeah. And you would, yep. and you would read books, but it's, but what I find and it's, it's getting better, way better, but you know, still, there's still teachers out there that when they struggle, man, they, you know, they, they cut out that orange construction paper rectangle, put it over the window on the door <laughs> you know <laughs> leave me alone yeah That's man it. try to keep the kids yeah. quiet so no one knows what's really going on in the room you know yeah. and rather yeah. than seeking help yeah i and i i was that way too for my first couple of years in the classroom even though that that was an environment i was familiar with i struggled yeah and i it never to be quite honest with you it never even crossed my mind to go seek a mentor. Like I had technically a mentor assigned to me, but it was more so in the role of here's where the copy machine is. And this is what time we're supposed to arrive every day. It wasn't mentorship in the capacity of my growth. Yeah. You all right? You good? Okay. Have a good day. Yep. Don't forget lunch is at this time. And, and you know, <laughs> that was right. really it. It never even crossed my mind to have that mentality to seek out somebody to help my professional growth. And I, I just don't think it's a regular part of the narrative. And I'm, I'm hoping to definitely change that. We, we have to like with the whole in idea of teach, hustle, inspire each of those words, like I've chosen them intentionally. And the teach part about it is about how we unlock intellectual treasure. And that's for ourselves and our students. And the hustle is about how we can't stop and won't stop learning our professional growth. And then the inspires about spreading love and light. And, and in order to do that, we have to lean on one another. Yeah. We have to make that a regular part of the conversation. And in order to give love and light to our students, we have to give it to ourselves first. Really, really do. Man, you know, I, when, when people are um, talking about teachers that struggle and mm-hmm. – and they're everywhere, and especially those younger teachers. And you're right, man. Like, I think it's just insane that we, we, we call it a teacher mentor. We give them, you know, one of the old, older teachers, and that's what it is. You're supposed to have lunch with them once a week, and I don't even know. And, yeah. <laughs> and you know, show them how to get your keys and show them how to log on and all that stuff that's and how good. to do bus requests. <laughs> and, man, that's the least of their worries. And, right. you know, this is, this is the, this is the one profession where we have the same exact expectations of a first day teacher as we do as a 30 year veteran, like they're, you know, expected to produce the same results and they've never done it before. And there's, I don't know of another profession where the, 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 the typical preparation for a teacher is, I don't know if it could be any better, but it's really poor for lots of teachers when they come in and they show up, they're completely overwhelmed. I think it's because they know what's at stake. They're dealing with people's lives. Mm -hmm. They know that subconsciously. So when somebody says, Hey man, everything okay? Their natural response is, Yeah, I'm fine. Even though yeah. there's nothing fine. Yeah, definitely. And you know, that that model that I was talking about where that awareness factor, yeah. a lot of that really is about peeling back those layers to turn that mirror on yourself so that you can understand emotionally how you are feeling as an educator, what you're giving out as an educator, but really with that whole self-awareness factor, it's understanding, you know, that I'm not okay. And to be not okay (laughs) is okay. Yeah. You know, because none of us, none of us, I don't care who the person is, how good you were, how, 
how much of a, a rock star you might have been as a, a student teacher or whatever preparatory, you know, nobody went in there on day one and had all the answers. Even after 10, 15, 20 years, there's still opportunities for growth. Yeah. Just there's still opportunities for growth. <laughs> as soon as you got it figured out, you're about to get that kid and you realize you ain't got nothing figured out. That's it. <laughs> That's the exciting part about this gig, man. And, um, and, and when you talk about the teach hustle inspire, you know, when yes. you, to hear you, to hear the language, um, that you use, like, like that's what we all signed up to do. And what I love about it, yeah, I want to stuff some knowledge into that kid's noggin. Of course I do that. But, but what I really want to do is have an impact on who that kid is becoming each and every day. And that model, that movement that you talk about really serve like those three, you know, uh, the teach, that's like the underpinnings of, of how to make this yeah. thing happen. Yes. Yes. I, I wholeheartedly believe that I really, really do. And it, it really just, I, I tried to do my best to encapsulate encapsulate the the entire vision. It, it's it's difficult. Don't don't get me wrong. It's an it's an everyday. I don't want to use the word struggle. It's an it's an everyday mission. Yeah, that we are on as educators, and I use this as a bat signal, if you will, to remind me of that mission that we are on every single day to touch each and every one of these students' lives. And that we are, whether it is on a, in a good way or in a not so good way. There is an impact that we are having, but I'm trying to do everything that I can to make sure that that skews towards the positive. Yeah, that's that's the scary part of teaching, man. Like, yeah, it, that impact is going to be monumental. There's that. That's no longer a question. The only question yeah. is, it's going to be positive or negative. Yeah, that's it. That yeah. that. That is that is really, really it at the end of the day. And so, you know, I just I try to use the platform that I have to communicate as much as I can to educators. And I, I try to pour in to educators because what can happen a lot of times is we as professionals, we we, we do this. We're, we're giving. We're constantly giving every single day without really being poured back into. And at the end of the day, you can't pour. You can't give from an empty well. I think that that has a lot to do with burnout and people leaving the profession. I think the latest statistics, you know, within the first three years, 40 to 50% are leaving. And then another high percentage within the first five years, that is ridiculous to me. That's absolutely ridiculous. And think of the children that are being impacted and being left behind because of problems that can be prevented. You know, I, I really believe it's preventable. And, um, I, I, if we treated this profession with the value and like I've really sat mm-hmm. and thought about, I think most people go, what are we doing, man? We're given like a mentor who shows up once a week and this is a first year teacher. But if you look at any other profession that really has an impact, whether maybe it's a, somebody that's going in a, in, in a psychology field and they're going to be a therapist, there's mm-hmm. thousands and thousands of hours of mentorship and guidance or yeah. somebody in, a, in, in, in a medical field and, and thousands yeah. of hours of mentorship. And, um, it, like, I, I really hope that there are school leaders out there because I don't think it's going to happen anyway. I think it has to be a school to school thing. And then, yeah. you know, people will see the results and then we'll, you know, um, you know, evolve into a district thing and then evolve to a state level. And then finally we'll get this national movement where teacher preparation 
Because everybody knows, hey, man, like this whole preparation thing, it really starts when you get a job. That's when you learn how to be a teacher. It is on the job training. Yeah. Like I've never seen it before. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, I, there's a school I, I, I haven't done it in a while, but I used to go every semester when the kids were graduating and they go out and do mm-hmm. their student teaching. They come back and I forget what they refer to it, but it was the big project they have to put together while they're student teaching. It's, I mean, these unbelievable monster binders are going to turn in and they're beautiful because they're, you know, elementary teachers and, you know, they spark on their pages and pages of work samples and all this stuff. And I'm just thinking, well, that's cute. I mean, it's cute, <laughs> but, I, <laughs> but I don't know, man. <laughs> Like it's I don't want to. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to yeah. hurt their feelings because they put so much work into yeah. it. I don't bring it up, but yeah. I'm in my mind. I'm thinking, well, that's a super cute binder. I'm not sure how that's going to work out. When, you know, when you get 48 kids in your class. Yeah, I, I, I like that though because that speaks to that whole creative side of being an educator. This is one of the professions where, when you when you have the right foundation, you can unleash your individual creativity like no other place. Yeah, you really, really can and. And I think that speaks to what you were talking about, about the show and tell and the relationship building. When you can connect with those students and 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 feed your individual creativity and bring it out of those students, that becomes fun. You can make the Pythagorean theorem fun if you add creativity to it. You know, you you can make the Revolutionary War fun if you add creativity to it. it. It it has so much potential and it doesn't have to be something where you pull up to the parking lot every day and want to curse before you get out the car to get yourself together. You can go in there and be like, I know that this lesson is hitting on all cylinders. I'm ready to have fun today. And that's that's the type of educator that I grew into once I started to learn that and, and, and really foster and feed my own creativity. It got fun. It got really, really fun. And isn't it crazy how effective you are when it's fun? Oh, man. Night and day. Yeah. Night, night and day. You know, I, I remember like getting to the point where, you know, and looking back, man, now I'm thinking about it. I don't even know, man. I might have to figure out, I might have to think about this more to make a distinction, but it seems to me like the more fun I was having, the more passionate I was and the more excited I was, the less any of the teaching strategy pedagogy mattered because we're just all yeah. in this together, enjoying the moment. And somehow these kids are learning. And I think what, ha- what happens with a lot of that is, that pedagogy is still there, but it's so well weaved into what yeah. you're doing that it's it's just it's natural. You you probably if if it were something physical, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference. It's it, it's just so well blended in there. Yeah, I need to think through that. I think you're right. You know, rather than um, these the, whether it's a strategy I want to use to teach, you know, and you know, in the past, you know, I'm at the point where this is kind of what we're doing today until we mm-hmm. got to the point where yeah. it's passionate and fun and it became who we are as a family yes. in this room. It's just yeah. as part of who we are today. That's it. That's it. And, and I just really feel like with teach hustle inspire in this movement, I, I try to pour back into educators because I, I heard it phrased this way. And and it has to do with just our individual selves. No one, how how was it said? No one that enjoys life doesn't enjoy work. And and what I mean by that is we spend so much time in that classroom 
if we don't enjoy what we're doing there, that impacts everything that we're doing outside of the classroom because now I'm going home and that time that I'm supposed to value with my family, that time I'm supposed to value to replenish myself, I'm, I'm frustrated yeah. at home. I'm taking it out on other people who may in turn take it back out on me and I'm going back into the classroom that next day and repeating that cycle all over again. Yeah. When that classroom is a place of enjoyment, when it's a place of creativity, when it's a place of flourish, you know, we're talking about literally eight hours a day. That's a third of your adult life. And if you're talking about the time that you're sleeping, your waking hours, it's half. Half of your waking hours are spent in that classroom. So you're you're almost it's almost foolish not to put yourself in a position to enjoy what you're doing. Yeah. Man, can you even imagine another career where it would be more difficult if you didn't like it? Because you can't hide, man. It's not like you've got a cubicle. You can just go, you know, hide in or close the door of an office or something like that. Like if you're miserable in the classroom, I can't even, cause I, and I see them, you know, there are occasions I've come across to teach. I can't, yeah. what are you doing? You can replace his income easily. And we're in a job where no one talks to you. They're out there, man. I yeah. just, I, I don't know how they do it. Let me ask you this, man. So like this whole sure. idea of, um, this is where I get confused is, Maybe you can provide some guidance for me. Is this whole idea of this uh, thought that you cannot give away that which you do not have? I get it. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I think that was made famous by Leo Biscaglia, maybe in the seventies or something. He wrote a book, and um, and I get it. Like if you can't give away that you don't, you know, you're not full of, and I and it's so it's a matter of bringing that. But then I I think about well, for me, the way I bring that into my life is to give it away. Like I be I become all that I give away. Like if I want mm-hmm. to bring courage into my life, I have to encourage enough other people. And that somehow makes me courageous. But with, okay. but with teaching, man, like the, it's like what you said, man, there's this constant outpouring of emotion and thought mm-hmm. and creativity and it's giving and giving and giving. And that's why people like, you'll see teachers just sitting in the car and after like, they forgot to turn it, turn it, they forgot to start the car and leave. They're just sitting there staring out the windshield, trying to <laughs> process what happened. Yeah, and, and for you, yeah. man, for, for those teachers that that teach in that way, I mean, yeah. how do you see them take care of themselves and recharge and refuel? It's not happening. Yeah. That's that's really the simple and direct. It's it's not happening, and I'm I'm in the process right now of of kind of. This whole teach hustle inspire thing. I'm getting ready. I'm I'm formulating a, a formal. That's a, my next book is going to be about just a whole wellness educator wellness uh, kind of just transformation because we we talk about self care. Yeah. It's it's a it's a buzzword right now. It has been for a little while, but it's 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 a good buzzword to have. But it's one of those things I think sometimes that it's just well, what is it? How do you do it? How does it help me? And so there are have been a lot of things that I've just come to understand about taking care of myself. Um, and and it has a direct relationship to my growth as an educator, because as I mentioned, I struggled. But I started to understand how important my eating habits were. Yeah. I started to understand how important regular exercise. And I'm not talking about being Arnold Schwarzenegger. I, I'm, a, I'm, I'm not a, a, a big buff guy, but I had to understand the, the importance of some form of regular physical activity. I meditate. 
And having and practicing mindfulness is has been transformational for me. There are certain things that when you put in place, and I actively work regularly to increase my skill set by reading, I listen to podcasts, or, you know, all of those things contribute to self-care. And when you really put those things into regular practice, now you start to pour back into yourself. So you have more to give. You have, you have, like you, like you said, you can't give that which you do not have. Well, now you're having to give. Yeah. Man, I, one of the, um, first thoughts I had about this concept was my daughter, who's now a freshman in college, but she's in third grade. Mm-hmm. And she had a teacher and she was a really young teacher. I don't know if it was, her, no, it wasn't her first year, but in her first few years of teaching, and she was a Teach for America mm-hmm. kid. And like one of those that are really impressive, you know, like, like a real yeah. teacher that went through the product, not one just wanting to, I don't know, not pay the bill, but like this is a real, and she still is a teacher to this day and has a couple of Montessori schools. But anyway, it's all, and she's in her twenties, you know, and I've been teaching a long time mm-hmm. on the road doing my thing, pretty proud of myself. And I said to her, uh, the teacher, I said, Hey man, like, um, what do you think about the school? You love it here? Yeah, I really do love it. And, um, how about this principal? Like, cause I really like the principal and she works hard and, and she goes, yeah, she's mm-hmm. a great leader. I do have one issue. And I'm like, Oh, well, tell me your issue. And she says, and like, what is she going to say? You don't know anything. And she says, uh, I really don't. I, I, she, what is she goes? Um, I just think I, th- Trying to, I want to. She said it so well, and I'm not going to say well, but she, she, she said, I really think uh, we need to rethink how she's modeling work ethic with how late she stays here and she's up here by herself working on this campus every Saturday and Sunday. And do we really want that to be the lesson for our kids that that's how you wow. succeed? You know, working eighty hours. And I'm like, man, I never even thought about that because. Right. Like some people, like the hustle thing, some people misinterpret that and they think it's this no sleep grind zone. And man, Absolutely not. That ain't what it, it's about. No, no, it is. It is not because that is detrimental. That serves to to me. There, there is a. I understand the impetus for it, but it's counterproductive at the end of the day. Yeah, it, it really, really is. And I, I, I was the type of person. I, I left work at work, and I was still successful. Because regardless of if you're one of those type of people who, you know, let's say the bell rings at 305 and you're out in your car at 306 and you go home and you've done what you needed to do from those hours from start to finish, then you're fine. But if you're still one of those people who stays till seven, eight o'clock at night, I mean, I get it. Don't get me wrong. But at the end of the day, you're taking away time from other things that are important in your life. And moreover, Regardless of how much you do after, there's still more to do. It it doesn't stop. Yep. So where are you where are you going to focus your energy? Yeah, man. You know, I think you know, I think because of social media, like it almost they make it sexy, like the whole Gary V thing, like outworking, you know, that whole deal. And yeah, I get it, man. Yeah. That's his niche and that's his market. That's his brand. Like, and so he has to live it. I, I, I understand. But at the same time, we forget, man, like the reason they call it, I mean, you know, the, they call it the grind and like, you're not the grinder. Life is the grinder. It's going to, at some point you're going to get ground down. Like it's, you're the yeah. one getting grinded and 100%. And, and the, and here's what we forget. Everyone suffers. Like, yeah, you suffer yeah. for sure. 
but like if if you're making a choice as an adult, I guess it's up to you to do whatever you want. I don't care. But what I, what bothers me is now kids are going to suffer because they're you, you've yeah. accepted the honor and privilege of standing before them every day, and ultimately yeah. that's that's who suffers. Yeah, absolutely. It really, really is. We I think we've just just like it's not really a part of the conversation about you know seeking out that professional mentor for growth as it might be in other conversations. It's not a part of the regular conversation of how do we as educators take care of ourselves. And I'm trying to, uh, I have that as a part of my book as one of those elements, that awareness factor that I was telling you about, but I'm in this next phase, I'm going in depth with it because I've just seen it be successful in helping myself first and other people time after time after time. And I'm doing everything I can to push that. So be, because at the end of the day, we're all we have. We we have to spread this knowledge so that we can take care of ourselves, take care of these students. Yeah. And dude, I still suck at it, honestly. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. I, I completely do. And, you know, my kid, um, I get a boy and a girl and the girls in college, a boy, he's a skateboarder. Like, that's his thing. Yeah. And um, I was taking him to the skate park. We have this amazing downtown skate park in Houston. I'm taking him to. He's just so passionate. He loves, he loves the culture and the community of the fellas over there. Mm-hmm. And he loves how they make fun of each other. Like they have this, you know, this little boy vibe that they do. And, um, sure, he's sure. excited about it. And he says, man, he goes, man, I love it there. It's like my happy place. And that's cool. And he turns to me, he goes, Hey, like, you know, like outside of work and all you, you know, that you do, like, you know, being on stage and whatever, like he goes, where's your happy place? Wow. And I'm stumped, man. I'm staring wow. at, the, at the red light. I'm staring at the windshield, like, bro, I don't know, man. Yeah, yeah. I really yeah. and and like I have to think. Well, I know where it used to be, but I haven't done that in years. Yeah. I don't think I, I don't think it counts if you haven't done it in ten years. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that happy place. That that's that that's important. Yeah, really where like important. you shut it down and go get refueled and your soul. Sometimes we, I think, we have this subconscious guilt that I'm not supposed to, or it it feels selfish to spend time working on me. We're naturally givers as educators, as I mentioned before, and we have to really make sure that we make a conscious effort to, to, I I call, or, or I've heard it phrased as putting your star player first, you. Yeah. You really do. Yeah. End of the day. Hey, when you were um, in on campus, and um, um, what what were some of the positions you had in school when when you were teaching and leading and all that stuff? I was um, I was a teacher. I taught everything from K to eight, and then I was a department chair. And then now I am a college professor, so I teach teachers about classroom management. And then when I consult and work, it's classroom management and culturally responsive teaching, self care. Yeah. Man, when we were talking about this the other day with with a couple of mm-hmm. um, leaders, people in the leadership positions on campuses, and they were talking about the challenge that they had of, and we were trying to put some language to it. And what mm-hmm. I think what they were explaining was, um, it's the it's the challenge we all have, and that is expecting to see you in the people on your team. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you know, and getting that, frustrated because mm-hmm. they're not you. That is difficult. It reminds me of sports. And when some of the greatest players that were in the game step into that role as a coach and they're not successful because 
their expectation is to see themselves and everybody else. And we as leaders have to understand that we're not supposed to see ourselves and everyone else. We're supposed to bring their best selves out and at the forefront so that they can be their best selves. And that's a huge, it's a huge mentality shift. It really, really is. It re, it, you know, and I think that for people that move from the classroom, whether it's to a team lead or department chair or a curriculum role mm-hmm. or, you know, principal or anything like that is, I, from what I hear from the conversations we have, that is one of the biggest shockers of all that they, I thought everybody was just like me. Yeah, it's hard. It, it's hard. It, it, it's, it, it's, it's one of those things where you have to like accept that and you have to actively remind yourself that I cannot expect to see me and everyone else. It's a constant narrative that you have to push with yourself, but that's good leadership. Leadership is growth and leadership is getting the best out of other people in the best way that's best for that person. Yeah. Hey, man, have you seen the same thing I have in that? I, I really think it's all because of social media. And like, there's way, way more conversations about leadership on campuses and in classrooms. Mm-hmm. Just ba- when, I, you know, years ago, I don't remember having this many conversations and people talk about that many books and that many podcasts mm-hmm. and, re- and, and resources and v- YouTube videos. Like, leadership is a huge thing right now. When in the past, I don't know if that was true. Yeah, it's it's a really big part of the conversation. And I I don't know if it's a part of the conversation to help people lead in the traditional sense or if it's to help people get out of the classroom. Yeah. That is one question that I have about that sometimes. If if it's for the genuine purpose of guiding others to be better educators, because that's really what it's all about in my humble opinion. Fantastic. If it's just a path for you to get out of the classroom as quickly as possible, yeah. then there's some rethinking that needs to come along with that. For sure. Yeah, I've always, um, you know, those prints, and I think we all, have, as as an educator, when you've got a kid mm-hmm. standing in front of you talking about your observation, and I can look at him, and I know this dude did his three years in the classroom. He got his master's while he was doing that, and now he got an AP job, and now he's going to talk to me about what's happened in my classroom. Are you crazy? You know, but I just, you know, smile and like, oh, okay, thank you. Yeah. And, okay, um, yeah, but, yeah. but there's something about this education thing. It's like people in our minds and here, the crazy part, this kid might have had some real value to share, but I don't yeah. know because I'm so closed yeah. off, yeah. you know, but as educators, oftentimes, man, we're just so closed because we think he hasn't been there. He doesn't know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You mean that, that's also the same thing with going to schools. Like, that's why I think for you, I can tell just talking to you, but for me, like my opening, my opening part of my day with teachers, if I'm spending a full day, my opener is close to 45 minutes because I need them to know I've been there, man. I've had your kids. You yes. know, and I yes. need to demonstrate that with the language I use and, and just yeah. and how I gesture and the stories I tell to know, hey, man, like, I know that girl that sits in your front row and you're thinking right now she he, she would shank you if you were in my class. I taught that girl. <laughs> I, I yes. taught her and her sister. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yep. Especially in that situation where you have, you know, the, the whole family that comes over the period of years. Oh, yeah. I got Been them all. There. And sometimes Absolutely. they're three years apart. In the same freshman class. I've had oh, yeah. those kids, man. Oh, yeah. 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 That's, hey, that's hilarious. <laughs> man, that last thing is, uh, sure. tell me about this MC thing, man. 
Like, was it when 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 you're teaching? Was was that part of the program in the classroom? So here, here's the thing: what happened with that? Um, I, I mentioned before that when I was teaching, I was also I had a bit of a side hustle. And I was a DJ. Yeah. And so literally, what would happen is on the weekends, I would leave my classroom and grab some dinner, grab something to eat, and go straight to the club. And so I DJed with two turntables. I had my microphone, and so I was a DJ and I was the MC. And what I began to notice is, you know, just as I grew as a DJ and as I grew as an educator, there was a correlation between my objective yeah. in each of those circumstances. I, I was in a one-to-many environment in both roles, and my objective in each was to get these people to move. I needed you to dance. I needed you to learn. But I was I was that source of motivation and the records that I chose or the lessons that I chose and how I presented them, I get to exercise my creativity and curate that content. And I was making decisions in real time in both of those, because depending on how the crowd reacted, depending on which direction I went as far as a DJ and depending on how the students reacted, depending on which direction that I went in that lesson. And so what I did was I, I kind of created this model uh, that, encapsulated my experience in both of those roles growing as a DJ, but more so as an educator, obviously, yeah. uh, to create that role because I was the MC and it's based off of the lyrics of um, Eric B and Rakim's song in, I want to say 1987, uh, Eric B is president. And so in the second verse, the lyric goes something along the lines of Eric B on the cut. They were a DJ MC duo and it said, no mistakes allowed. Because to me, MC means move the crowd. And I grew up on Long Island, where those two guys are from. So it was just a part of me. And my dad listened to that. And so I took that concept and and kind of just applied it here. But MC means move the class to me. And how I was able to just transform using what I call the elements of urban education, that achievement, that alliance and relationship building, that awareness of self and that artistry, that creativity factor to blend those and get those results in the classroom. Yeah, man. You know, the, just listening to you talk about it and the passion that you have about it is, um, it's inspiring. And also it really makes me think that, you know, as educators, although it might not be that graphic, like there's stuff in your life, man, that you can bring into the classroom. And maybe it's not that, you know, this a flamboyant, you know, MC or DJ thing, but right. there's something that, you know, and it yeah. all goes back to, you know, that you can do with your kids so they know you on a deeper level. Because, like, this is a generation, it's almost as if, like, it's almost as if we have to, it sounds crazy to say, but we have to earn the right to teach. And the yeah. way we earn the right to teach those kids is for that to, for let them to see us in the deepest, most authentic way as who we are is, is possible. And that was the root of my struggle at the beginning because I was trying to be somebody else. Yeah. The facade. I was, I was, I I came into that classroom every single day trying to be what I thought quote unquote, those kids needed. Yeah. And it was not fun for me. I created an environment that was cold that did not get results. And when I started to just kind of bring Sean into the classroom and started to change that around and have more fun and as I continue to grow, uh, to grow as an educator and in my practice and then simultaneously as a DJ, I, I began to really, really enjoy it more. 
get better results, build better relationships, and and inevitably feel better about what I was doing during and after work. Yeah, you know that I um I we also I think we all start out like that. Like we we think we're going to step into this role of a yeah. teacher, and we're going to put mm-hmm. on the costume that mm-hmm. supports that role, and then we're going to behave in such a way that we think we need to behave in that role. And man, just, just, uh, this year I was, I was teasing a teacher and she was struggling and we're having a fun conversation about it. And I said, Hey man, the reason, cause I, I was watching her teach. I said, I think that the, the reason the struggle that you're having all comes down to your tattoo. And she goes, what? Mm-hmm. I said, it's your tattoo. She goes, what, mm-hmm. what do you mean? When, what makes you think I have a tattoo? I said, I can, I saw it. I saw it creeping out of your yeah. collar. And she mm-hmm. goes, well, the kids don't have a problem with tattoos. I said, no, they love it. But here's the thing. Like you're wearing the costume, you're playing a role and you're acting like someone they can tell that's not you. And then the evidence mm-hmm. is this tattoo. They want to know about that tattoo, man. They want to know yeah. who you really are. And who you really are. Yeah. Yes. I said, man, just be that. Like be who you are. And like, you know, you're a great person. Go do that yes. for those kids so they can learn. Be your true, authentic self. Uh, it's, it's, a lot easier said than done, to be honest with you. But when you are aware that that's okay, that's where it starts. Yeah. Be you. Be you and work to grow as an educator and the results will follow. Love it, man. Hey, man, you're, dude, you, um, I'm fired up, man. You got me inspired. And, uh, man, I can't thank you enough for, for taking time early in the morning and just, uh, and just giving to the teachers. And, man, we all, I know they're going to love it. And I really appreciate you and all that you're doing. And, uh, for those that, um, about the book, man, because there's, yeah. there's schools everywhere that are going through that transition. I went through and there's teachers are struggling. And for mm-hmm. those that, that, that want to find out more, tell them how to get the book. Sure, sure. The book MC means move the class, how to spark engagement and motivation in urban and culturally diverse schools. Um, it is available on Amazon. Um, it is also available um, on my website, teachhustleinspire.com. And I have books available. I have also uh, sweatshirts like this and t-shirts and things like that that are uh, pretty popular that a lot of teachers like to wear. So um, you know, you can get those or feel free to reach out directly to me. If you have any questions about anything, I can be reached at, uh, Sean at SeanWoodley.com, or you can just go to again, teach com, and my contact information is right there. And then we'll put all the contact information, the website info and all the social media handles. I forgot. I can't keep up. Man. I can't, yeah. <laughs> I don't, I'll, we'll put all that stuff in the show notes and then people can find you awesome. there. All right, man. Thank you so much. Thank you. I, I greatly appreciate it. I do not take it lightly that you're, uh, you know, just having me on your show and welcoming me into your space. Humble thanks. Absolutely, brother. Appreciate you. Have a great one. Take care, man. This has been the Teach Like a Rockstar podcast with Hal Bowman. Subscribe, rate, and share from halbowman.com forward slash podcast. 